welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. I'm Avery. I'm Jamie. And I'm Lucy. We are psychologists and moms. Join us as we discuss what we've figured out, what we've yet to figure out, and what there's just no figuring out. It's sure to be fun, and you may be inspired along the way. Welcome to Inspiration from the Couch. Today, we're going to be talking about compassion, specifically about self-compassion. So over and over in my life, I'm coming to see self-compassion as the secret sauce, so to speak. Um, So almost the like biggest and goldest nugget of wisdom ever. It can really seem simple and almost too easy, but its impact really tends to be incredible and totally transformative. In fact, I've even had moments where I feel like all of our fancy therapy training that we've had is irrelevant (laughs) and that the only thing I need to be teaching clients or myself or the people in my life is really how to have compassion for self and others. So one of my favorite quotes, and this is from Taylor White Moffat, who's one of my teachers, she talks about self-compassion delivers everything that self-improvement promises. So what do y'all think about this? Yeah, it's been a journey for me. I I think I've learned more about self-compassion and just probably just like the recent year or so. And I agree, it it is totally transformative and something that I think has been so helpful and transformative for my patients, but really in my own life and even as a parent. I mean, it really does like change the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree with you, with both of you completely that it has been an amazing tool, an amazing way of life, really, almost, is Mm -hmm. kind of how I look at it. And it's just been so, so extremely helpful in my own life and in the lives of my clients. Like everybody that I have introduced to self-compassion has really found a lot of value, a lot of worth in that practice. So that quote, right, self-compassion delivers everything that self-improvement promises. Right. But yeah. I think quite often we show up wanting to be better, more connected, mm-hmm. or have better relations, like all these things that we want and that we feel like we just need to keep working on ourselves and doing something different and more. Totally. But the idea of if we can just be compassionate with ourselves, that's where all of that comes from. Right. It right. will all flow and follow like from that space. Totally. And I think Jamie is actually, we're going to be able to talk about aging in our next episode, which I'm super excited about. But I think especially at this stage of my life in my forties, I think about like my twenties and thirties were a lot about like getting all of the things, like getting my education, getting my private practice, getting my family, getting, 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 getting. And then I think I hit 40 and it was like, um, there's not really anything else that I want to get, but I've been so in this self-improvement goal-oriented, striving place for so long that it felt really bizarre. It felt really like unsettling to not be striving for something. And compassion has really just filled me up, I think, and Mm. really filled that gap of like, maybe striving, certainly striving has been helpful. I'm I'm so thankful that I have my PhD and have my practice. I mean, striving has not been all bad for me, but it really gave me just this space to like, be enough just as I am right now. So let's start at the beginning. Like, what is compassion? How would you all define, describe compassion, self-compassion, either of those? Self-compassion, I look at it as more of being an inner ally versus like an inner enemy. Uh We so much of the time 
are so critical and so harsh with ourselves. So really, it's about treating yourself as you would a loved one or a good friend, because so often that's not how we treat ourselves, actually. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I was actually at a training for self-compassion with Kristen Neff. And one of the things she talked about that really hit home for me was this idea of being a compassionate parent. And she was talking about a compassionate parent can separate performance from love and care. And she gave this example of somebody coming home, a child coming home with like a bad grade on something and being able to separate the maybe disappointment about the bad grade from the like affection and love and care and relationship with the child. And I think I I have not done a great job of separating those two in my own life that like my care or compassion or love for myself has been very bound to performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of separation was like, ah, and I would love to tell you that was years ago and I've gotten so much better, but that was like six months ago that I like started really thinking about that in that way. And it really has transformed the way I relate to myself and the way I parent. It's almost this sense that compassion in essence is a response to suffering to ourselves or to someone else. So it's this idea, if we see the suffering and how do we move towards it with this tenderness and care and Mm. concern and warmth. So it's kind of showing up in the face of the suffering. And Jamie, what you were mentioning too is kind of the opposite of compassion where most people tend to get trapped. And probably one of the most horrible things and and detrimental things we do to ourselves is that self-aggression or self-judgment. Yes. And if we were to say, these things out loud to somebody else probably wouldn't be friends with them (laughs) for for very long. Right. Right. I mean, like if, if someone came to you and, you know, said, Oh, you know, I've got, you know, I was in this relationship and he dumped me and you say, well, no wonder you're stupid and fat and I wouldn't date you either. I mean, like, good grief, like that, that wouldn't go over very well, but yeah, we do that kind of stuff to ourselves all the the time. time. Well, how often do you all have that conversation with clients about like, would you ever say that to anyone else? Right. And they're like, no, right. like, hell no, I would never, I would never think it. I don't say it. Right. But like, this is what I say mm-hmm. to myself right. regularly all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of those things that actually, mm. now that we're on that topic, that mm-hmm. people say to themselves that are like the opposite of self-compassionate. So like the self-aggressive, self-critical sorts of comments, because sometimes this points the way for like where we need the compassion. Oh, for sure. As I mentioned before, that kind of performance-based, that you're only enough if you are performing in this way. The offset to that, which I really love, is that you are enough just as you are, but that there's this idea of like, you always have to be striving, whether it's to lose weight or to make more money or to have a bigger house that like, I will only be enough when versus I'm enough just just as I am right Mm -hmm. now. So I think that that performative piece has been, has interfered with my self-compassion. Well, and I try to help my clients when they come in and they say they want to improve their self-esteem. I actually try to shift them away from that because self-esteem is so based on an external bar, Mm. right? Your self-esteem only goes up when you do strive and do achieve the thing. When you either lose the weight or Mm -hmm. get the job or make the grade or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. But if you don't hit those markers of progress that are external to you, then your self-esteem goes way down and you feel terrible. But Mm -hmm. you don't have to do that with Mm self-compassion whatsoever. That's not how it works. So how does self-compassion work? Like, how does it sound? (laughs) What are some of the principles? So Kristen Neff talks about self-compassion as involving three components. 
So the first would be self-kindness. So this is where we're offering ourselves this sort of warmth, this acceptance, this ability to soothe ourselves. And it really kind of counters that tendency to tear ourselves down, right? Mm -hmm. The second component is common humanity, which is a really central piece to self-compassion. So it's recognizing in this piece, I really, really like, because it's recognizing that everybody is flawed in some sort of way. We all make mistakes. We're all kind of in this, this boat together and that everybody has pain and hardship and there's no exception to that. Mm. So you're not alone. So when you're going through a really difficult time, a lot of times it can feel so isolating, like this is it. It's just me all by myself. But really this piece of, of self-compassion, I think is really, really important. You know, if we just remember like everybody goes through things. It's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. So that's the second piece. And then the third has to do with mindfulness, which really is where self-compassion kind of starts with, with that. So being aware of sort of your moment to moment experience paying attention to it in a real kind of clear and balanced manner. So allowing all of your thoughts, your emotions, your experiences, sensations to arise without like resisting them or not wanting to avoid them. Mm. So those are the the three big components of self-compassion. What are your thoughts on that? I was thinking about that common humanity piece. So often when we are self-critical and self-aggressive, there's this sense of feeling separate or other than that sense of mm -hmm. not being good enough, kind of the sense of not being, you know, kind of being on our own, mm -hmm. right? So how relieving it can be to feel like, oh, like this is just part of being human. So there's a part of that sometimes our experience is that we don't have to fix it, fix anything mm -hmm. or change anything. And that sometimes this is just a piece of humanity. One of the parts of that that really speaks to me is that kindness, that like, tending to. I was at a retreat recently and one of the leaders who I just adored, we were talking about being doted upon and she said that she was going to dote on me that week and she absolutely did. And it felt amazing to be doted upon. What does she do to dote on you? She just took care of me. She like in yoga practices would like rub my feet or would offer me some water or just ask how I was doing or give me a hug. It was just amazing. I think I strive to kind of dote or, or offer kindness to my daughter having that little mindset shift of like, I could also do that inward. I could kind of dote upon, tend to offer kindness to myself. And that that can be really, again, it's it's shocking to me how novel that concept is, but it it has been. That if I could care for myself in a similar way that, that I might care for my daughter, how revolutionary is that? When I think about my experiences of receiving compassion, it's funny you talk about being tended to because I think that's one of the biggest ones that comes up that is so powerful. Like I was getting acupuncture a few years ago and you know the, the woman had the needles in and then she kind of put this blanket and almost like tucked me in almost before she left the room. And I just like burst into tears and I was like, whoa, what is this? But I think in our adult lives, we're often not tucked in and tended mm -hmm. to in that kind of a way. And there's something so warm and compassionate about that experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the fixing that we, that we forget that like comfort and care can be so powerful mm -hmm. that we don't have to fix whatever was going on for you in the acupuncture, but just a little tending to comfort care can make all the difference. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So when do we need to practice compassion the most? Right. What are some instances when you think like, yep, like now would be a really good time for compassion? When I'm awake and when I'm breathing and when I'm existing <laughs> on the planet. <laughs> all of the time, always, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, 
it may be more difficult to do that during times of distress. And that may be when it's most beneficial is when things are dysregulated. That can be also when it's more difficult and more necessary. So I think kind of we've talked about in other instances about that idea of practice when it's not so, when the stakes maybe aren't so high, so that it's there to fall back on when you feel more distressed. And so I, th- I really do think having that as a context all the time can be so helpful so that it's there for you when you get distressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, especially when I make mistakes, which is you know, that's Mm. daily. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I think like you were saying, Avery, just all, all the time, it's really helpful. But I notice, especially when I am making mistakes, that's when it really comes in, comes in handy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. I can do a number on myself when I screw something up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Lucy? I have found compassion to be most helpful like in situations that can't be fixed or changed or and actually there's, I guess it's sometimes you could fix or change things. What I'm trying to say is sometimes compassion has been most relieving because I don't have to fix or change anything anymore. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's just this exercise of how do I show up for, for myself with compassion? How do I just witness what's going on? How do I be kind and gentle with myself in that moment? And that that can soften and change everything. You know, I'm thinking of, of a more concrete example. So a few years ago, my kids had slept in the same room for a while. We had kind of moved into a new house. They had their own rooms, but one of them had like a bigger bed. And so they just slept in there for, for a while. And then the older one got got older and did what you're supposed to do as you get older and say like, okay, I want out. Like I want to go back to my room, like on my own. And so the younger one was heartbroken about mm. this and like so sad around like, why is Addison leaving? She doesn't love me anymore. Like I'm lonely. I don't want her to go. And I remember there was one night where Charlotte, the little one, was upset about it. And there was a part of me that like my gut instinct was like to go yell at Addison and be like, well, why don't you be nice to your sister? And why don't you come in and just sleep with her for one night? And mm-hmm. you know, like that, that could fix it and help to solve her feel it. better, to like solve it in some way. And all of a sudden it hit me in terms of Addison's doing exactly what she's supposed to do. Like no one needs to make her feel bad for that. And Charlotte is heartbroken because this is sad and it's mm-hmm. hard when people change. And so to show up for compassion in that moment was like, Ooh, Charlotte, like, ouch, like that Mm. does hurt. And I know you're sad and it's so hard when people grow and change and things become different. And that's a lot, Mm -hmm. right? And like, how do we almost just like sit there and make space for that? And you could see her just soften. I think that's kind of what she needed. Mm -hmm. But so often we do all kinds of acrobatics to try to fix and change and make the Mm -hmm. feeling go away Mm -hmm. and do this and that instead of just feeling it. Yeah. Or we get self-aggressive. I'm so stupid for feeling this way. Or I can't believe I care this much. Like mm-hmm. we do all that instead of just like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Because you some space to sit with the feeling instead of having to get it to go away. I think I've found as I've learned more about self-compassion, how very self-critical I've been. And just that there was kind of, I think on many days of my life, there's just been this like constant monologue of really negative, critical statements that I would have really been upset if somebody was talking to a friend or my daughter or my family that way. I mean, I, I was really, I think I've been aware of, wow, that are, that is a lot of criticism. And this kind of just gives me like an alternate channel almost to play of when I notice that critic really getting loud, it kind of gives me another another voice to kind of pay attention to, which has been really helpful. What gets in the way of self-compassion kind of for yourselves or for people that you work with? I think one thing that has, that I hear and both have, both have experienced internally and then also with other people is that compassion 
starts to feel like acceptance, which which can be a good thing. But then people start to feel, well, if I accept myself just the way I am, I'm never going to do anything. I'm never going to reach any goals. There's this kind of like deeply held belief that they're really not enough as they are. Or if I believe that, then I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to weigh 7,000 pounds. I'm going like to lose, all, motivation. I'll lose all control, all motivation. And like shit's going to get real around here and it's going to be terrible. But just this kind of like distrust that if I accept myself for who I am right now, I will never really be enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of those really unhelpful beliefs that sounds like, <laughs> hey, free. And I hear that too, like from, from clients, you know, that they think that it's self-compassion means that you're weak or means that you're lazy and you've got to be like tough and strong in order to get through things when actually self-compassion really aids resilience and moves us more towards kind of this long-term well-being rather than another myth that I hear too is that, oh my goodness, I'm being selfish or self-indulgent. Self-indulgent. Yeah, Mm -hmm. self-indulgent. That's (laughs) that's not the case, actually. It's it's for long-term well-being. My favorite Mm -hmm. examples that I'll use with clients is let's say you had a child, like a small child with you, and you were wanting them to color a picture and you were wanting them to stay within the lines and they start going outside the lines. And let's say you start saying like you effing idiot, like you stupid little kid. How could you do that? Like, that's horrible. Like, how is that child going to respond? What are they going to do? And they're going to like start crying or they're never going to want to color again, or they're going to be like terrified and like shaky. Like it's not going to be pretty. Right. So if you have that kid and you want them to color in the lines, what do you do? You know, you say, wow, like I love your effort or let's do it a little more like this. You are, you're kind and compassionate and encouraging. And that tends to be much more effective and actually helping someone thrive and grow and do whatever it is you're wanting them to do even. So often it's that idea that we often talk to ourselves like the first, and I can't tell you how many clients feel like they need to have a whip for themselves and be like almost whipping themselves to like keep themselves going. And it's this fear that if they don't do that, they'll, they'll fall off the map but that actually compassion tends to be much more effective and and keeping us going. Mm -hmm. Totally. One area that I have experienced a lot of kind of transformation with compassion is my relationship with my body. And we're actually going to be able to talk about that more when we have a podcast coming up when we talk about the fuck it diet. But I think that there has been this kind of belief that like, oh, if I let go, if I really accept myself for who I am or what my body size is or what my body shape is, then it's, then it's going to become somehow unacceptable or I'm going to lose control. And this idea, it's, it's really kind of this radical idea that you could really accept yourself just as you are. Also, there's that piece of kindness, because I think sometimes there's this like fantasy, like, oh, if I really accept myself that I'm enough just as I am, or my body is fine just the way that it is, that I would start to do things like eat crazy or not ever move or do these things. And, it, and this idea of kindness kind of calls that into question, too. Like, it wouldn't be incredibly kind to my body to feed it to the point of just stuffed all the time with nothing but ice cream. It also wouldn't be really kind to my body to never move it again. And so this idea idea of like, we're not saying that you do these really unhealthy things either. We're just operating from this place of kindness and tenderness and care versus critical punishment. And self-compassion, I think, can be a good way to help you enhance your perspective taking. A lot of people confuse self-compassion with like self-pity, mm. where you're like throwing a pity party for yourself. But really with self-compassion, that's that's not the case at all. It's actually kind of the antidote to that. You know, it really helps you take other people's perspectives. And again, 
showing that, hey, I am part of this broader common humanity, that it's not just me. It helps you actually not be so Mm -hmm. self-focused. So if y'all think of some practices that really facilitate self-compassion, and I'd love to hear about your experiences with compassion, either giving or receiving, and then also practices you find helpful. So any of those topics. I think it's definitely easy to give compassion rather than to receive compassion Mm. kind of back to our previous podcast about asking for help. You know, I think compassion can kind of be the same, the same way where it's sometimes harder for me to sort of receive it. Sometimes when Robert is very gentle and sweet, when I'm struggling, it sometimes is a little bit of a challenge to really take it in and really accept that and feel it internally. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it's, it's hard for me. What about you all? The same, because some, sometimes I feel if people are being compassionate towards me, I can kind of feel a little uncomfortable, like a little itchy. Like mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, is this okay that, that I'm receiving this? Or does this mean that they they see me as like weaker? Or, I don't know. It, it does feel kind of that same way of like when you're on the receiving end of help of like, is this okay? Is this okay that I'm getting this support or this help? it does feel easier to offer it to other people. And actually I feel like that's been a nice vehicle for me to offer it to myself is it is so much easier to offer compassion to my friends or to my family members. And I find that that some of those things that I've said, even to my daughter, I'm like, what would happen if I said that to myself? That's kind of given me some verbiage, you know, to mm-hmm. use for self-compassion as well. And I think that is one of the best ways for people to tap into self-compassion is, gosh, what would I say to my best friend or Mm -hmm. a child or someone I love dearly? Like, what would I say to them? And how can I say that to myself? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even maybe getting like a mantra. I mean, one that I have found to be really helpful is just, I am enough just as I am. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will say that over and over. I'm enough just as I am. And I think that that's something kind of playing with different self-compassion phrases or or different practices and kind of seeing what's the right fit. And then having those even physical reminders. I mean, whether you write it down on a piece of paper or I, I sometimes have it on my mirror or on my whiteboard in my office, I think it can be really helpful as you're trying to kind of shift from critical to compassionate self-talk. Two other phrases I love. So one is just ouch. <laughs> so like, we're just kind of recognizing that something hurt, like ouch. And then the other is a woman named Sylvia Bornstein says like, oh, darling, you are suffering. So if you kind of put your hands on your heart and like, oh, darling, I am suffering. Mm -hmm. What other practices do y'all use or recommend to clients to help tap into compassion? So we have kind of the mantra. We have kind of asking yourself what you would say to a friend. I think sometimes too, asking yourself the question, what do I need now? Mm. So you can tune in and allow the moments of self-compassion to come. That's an important one. So what do I need now or how can I support myself now mm-hmm. is another way to phrase it. For sure. It's almost that curiosity we talked about mm-hmm. in our last podcast, but directing it towards ourself and mm-hmm. this idea of being present with where you are mm-hmm. right in the moment. I think kind of that taps into that mindfulness too that you were talking about. And I think one thing I've found that's been really helpful, it's almost this like short circuit, like easy way in is to put my hand on my chest to take a deep breath. And I've kind of gotten this practice of like, okay, you know, who's in there? What does she need? What does she want? And that that kind of just turns me back in and kind of like, okay, what I need might be something as simple as a drink of water. It may also be rest, or it may also just be to like shut that critic up for a minute and just go with the I am enough. Mm -hmm. But just that kind of attuning to self, 
with, with, like you said, the openness, the curiosity, and then allowing those needs to be even just voiced and then hopefully met in some way. Yeah. I had this experience over, I think it was the summer or in the fall. I forget what, but I, you know, we all have our oldest daughters are around like 12, 12 ish. Mm -hmm. That's the age where they start to like do what they're supposed to do in terms of like emancipating and becoming more (laughs) independent and autonomous. And for me, at least there's been this like back and forth. It's like one moment they'll like say you're like the worst mom ever and want nothing to do with you. The next moment they'll want to like crawl back in the womb and they're literally like laying over (laughs) your lap, right? It's just like back and forth. And so it was one night, whatever, last summer or fall, I went up to say goodnight to to my oldest daughter. And sometimes I would just like lie in bed with her. And that night she's like, can you sit in the chair over there? Like points across the room. And I'm like, sure. I'm trying to be brave and not say anything. And I usually am not quite so sensitive, but I think it was late and maybe it'd been a rough day. And so I like came downstairs and I like went back to the space where I like meditate and I just started crying and I just felt so sad, but it was interesting because what I ended up doing in that moment was thinking about these experiences where I had actually received compassion from others. And there was this one moment that came to mind. I was on retreat a few years ago and I just was like sobbing. I didn't even have words for why, but like spent half the retreat in tears, just sobbing, sobbing. There was this lovely woman who just sat next to me and she had her arm around me and she like was sinking her breath to mine. No words, but almost this like breath to breath sort of thing. And there was something about that that was so compassionate. Like another time when I was all these retreats to get you crying, right? And like, (laughs) I think I'm shaking and trying to share. And like one of the leaders came and put her hand on my foot and my foot was sweaty and gross and it was hot in summer, but her hand was just right there, like anchoring. Almost like remembering all of these instances or like when you like look someone in the eye and you don't say anything, but all these times where I had felt compassion and they all just came like kind of flooding back Mm. into me. And there was this like warmth and calming that kind of came from that. Oh, wow. Almost like you've collected these moments. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And can kind of like highlight reel. Exactly. Oh, I love that. And I created a a meditation practice actually, and it's on my website, but that's been one of my favorites because it just brings like these specific moments. Mm. And also thinking for people who have pets, like, do you ever have like, you're just sad or upset and like your pet will come and like crawl into your lap, right? Or like put their like head on your feet or something. Right. So I think starting to notice when you feel the sense of love and compassion intended to and accepted right where you are. And how do you start to like stockpile those Mm. or like remember them and try to access them? When we do that self-compassion, kind of to your point that you're making earlier about feeling selfish, it almost like it fills our cup up so that we do have that compassion to give out to the world. If we're all closed off and feeling needy, like we haven't gotten enough, like we're not my posture right now, I'm like all closed in. I'm not open and available to offer compassion to other people. But if I'm filled up and feeling like, you know, I've, I've dealt with myself with compassion or I've had some compassion, I'm more available in the world to offer that back. And so I think it really does kind of that oxygen mask idea of like, if we're breathing, we're able to offer so much more to the people around us than if we're, you know, exactly not. So and a few other practices real quick. I know we're towards the end of our time, so I'll just throw these out there. But I think there are a lot of great meditations that will tap into compassion. So you can search for any loving kindness practices that are a great Mm. way to access compassion. 
Kristen Neff, who we've referenced, and, and all these people we're referencing, we will have in the show notes and on our website, so you can access them there. But she has a great practice that's about softening, soothing, and allowing, which is so helpful. Tara Brock has a practice called RAIN that ties into compassion. So I think all those are fabulous. Then I also think we can have hands on our body can be a great way to access compassion. So maybe both hands over your heart or a hand on your heart and a hand on your belly. Kristen Neff had recommended too, and I love this, like a hand on each cheek, like, mm. you know, kind of like cradling your your head a little bit, that there's something compassionate about that. Or maybe like a fist over your heart and a hand over that, that can be a little bit more kind of protective and, and fierce and tender at the same time. Those are the big ones. And so if we're going to wrap up with the do try this at home, what comes to mind for y'all? So something else that Kristen Neff does, and you can find it on her website, which is just selfcompassion.org and I've used with clients is what's called a self-compassion break. Mm. And so with that, there are just three little lines that you can adapt for yourself. So when you're going through something that's really difficult, you say, this is a moment of, of suffering. Everyone has hardships or suffering as a part of life. May I accept myself just the way I am? Mm. And I love that. Three lines, simple. It exemplifies mm-hmm. what the concept of self-compassion is. And so I've I've used that and I've had clients use it and they find that it can be really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think for me, it's really just noticing when that voice, the internal voice is, is become critical and trying to shift it to a voice that you would use with a friend or a child. That's been really powerful for me. I think mine would just be practice compassion as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Hands on your body. How can you, I always think of it like, how do I allow whatever I'm feeling to be? How do I soften around it? And how do you just practice, practice, practice and keep coming back to Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. All right. So I think next time we are going to be talking about the concept of aging. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo. All right. So I think that'll do it for today. Thank you all for joining us and we will look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Subscribe to Inspiration from the Couch wherever you access your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. Visit us on our website at inspirationfromthecouch.com. Inspiration from the Couch.